You're listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to Tarazi Tuesdays with the Bible as Literature podcast. Today, Father Paul continues his discussion of Genesis chapter 1, and he begins, Richard, by once again explaining the meaning of the word Eretz, translated as Earth. It's not an orb. It's not a planet. It's the dry land that the Lord separates from the waters. And when he starts talking about Eretz and a second term, Adama, it's easy to get confused, but these are two different words in Hebrew. They have two different and specific uses by the author, and it's important for those trying to follow Father Paul's argument today that they don't get confused by the definition of these two different words. Father Paul will explain that the word Adama is the feminine of Adam, and it says something about the relationship between man and the ground. Right. Another term that Father Paul uses is abad. Abad is often translated as work or till the ground, but it can also be translated as serve the ground. Obed, which is the active participle, which is the one serving, can also be translated as slave. So there's this connection between tilling and being a slave, and Father Paul is going to play off these two words, so be aware of those two. I'm happy to introduce Father Paul on the Bible as Literature podcast, Tarazi Tuesdays. Day two was the making, if you like, of the earth as a dry land. Remember, we talked about that. And there will be a play on that. The Latin has arida, arid. And let's go and speak about the earth. Number one, we notice that very quickly the heavens are eliminated from the picture. The reason is very simple. Heavens are the domain of God slash the gods. The human being has no connection with that, except for the mystics, obviously, that imagine that the human being came down from heaven as a spar and so on. But please, let's forego all that. Let's stick with scripture. Now, before going further, let's remember that in those times, people did not conceive of our earth as an orb, as a planet. So remember always that the earth means the earth on which we stand. That's why in all languages, the earth can be the small square meter on which you stand. It could be your acre. It could be your land. It could be the domain of the king. That's what earth is. And this will be very quickly confirmed because already in verse 25, we hear a reference to earth as Adama, which is the feminine of Adam. We'll get back to that to speak about it and about the connection between Adam and Adama. And again here, I must use the Hebrew because we don't have this interconnection, not even in Arabic. So the original is very important. Earth is Eretz, which is in all Semitic languages. 
But again, it's the earth that is described the way we hear about it in the third day. Okay. God says, let the earth produce vegetation, and then the earth produced vegetation. And I mentioned last time the importance of that in the sense that it is God that triggers the function of the earth. Disregarding the sun and the moon, and very interestingly, disregarding the rain. Why am I mentioning the rain? Because at the beginning of chapter 2, it begins to have importance. The earth at that time did not have any vegetation because God did not make the rain, did not make it rain. And the man was not serving the earth yet. So let's keep in mind this, and here I would like to speak against classical theology, that the scriptural text is definitely not anthropocentric, and it is definitely not geocentric the way we understand it, starting with the Middle Ages. Okay, let's keep these two things in mind. So anthropocentric is a fallacy, geocentric is a fallacy. It's the earth that gives you the vegetation that is our food and the food of the earthly animals at the same time at the end of chapter one. My apologies to my hearers because they are imagining that I'm floating around. I'm not floating around. I'm just floating in chapter one and two to make my hearers understand how the original authors understood the term Eretz and how their original hearers understood the term Eretz. And again, this is the fallacy of theology. You start with the day before yesterday and you start involving, you know, philosophers and Heidegger and Kant and so on. It's silly, absolutely silly. So that's the earth we're talking about. And the life of that earth that is essential for the life of the mammals, whether human beings or other animals, is that the life that it provides to sustain us and the animals comes from God. Let's hear it again. And God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, each according to its kind upon the earth. And it was so, very interestingly, it was so. And yet, the author continues, the earth brought forth vegetation. So he actually explains in which sense it was so. It is very impressive. And God saw that it was good. And that was the third day once more before even the mention of the sun and the moon and before even mention of the rain that appears later into five. 
Impressive? Yes, indeed, extremely impressive. This is the earth we're talking about, which is the source of our life, and it is directly under the control of the one God whose domain is the heavens. One more time. Still, we don't have here mention of the rain that comes from heaven. It is God that resides in the heavens, and he triggers directly according to Genesis 1, the function of the earth. Another aspect which I would like to stress and drives my students crazy because they were brought up to challenge you by saying this is the old story of which came first, the egg and the chicken. And all of them know by now it is the chicken that comes first according to scripture, not the egg. Let's hear the text. And God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. So when I ask you, which came first, the seed or the tree, your answer should be, according to me, it may be the seed, but according to scripture, the tree is first. And from it came the seed. In other words, God did not throw around genes or semen as the Greek gods. No. He did not even throw down trees and vegetation. He gave an order for the earth to start functioning as it stands. This will culminate later in Psalm 24. The Lord's is the earth and all those who dwell therein. Notice the reference of the earth as being our basis, foundation in the sense on the dry earth on which we stand. Notice dry is a tricky word. That means at the same time solid compared to the waters, but it is also arid and it needs the trigger of God directly. And in this sense, he is already in chapter one, the source of life. One does not need to wait until the tree of life in chapter two and three. So very powerful, this interconnection between the reference to earth at the beginning of chapter one, at the end of chapter one, in chapter two, and in chapter three. Now, earlier, you remember, I brought up the fact that in verse 25, we hear about the Adama, which should be translated as ground. It's from the same root as Adam. All the creeping things on the Adama. So the author is very cunning, really powerful. And it is this Adama 
which is one aspect of what the earth is, that will be cursed in chapter 3 because of the disobedience of the human being. So, very interesting, and I'm sure Richard is antsy to push me in this direction towards the end by asking me about the earth of the promise and how it is cursed and so on. Already, he has the answers. <laughs> that it is your behavior towards the others and the creation, which should be according to the will of God, and if you don't behave according to the will of God, then life is taken away from your mother earth and you die. Okay, very powerful. In scripture, okay, don't tell me that, you know, we have the Hoover Dam and we have water. And nowadays they like to speak about Israel brought the life to the desert and so on. This is not what scripture is talking about. This is the projection of historicizing and individualizing theology that perturbed the text. Let's stick with the 3rd century BC and the view of the people regarding the world around them. Putting all these things together, one understands this unbelievable importance given to the earth as producer of vegetation over two days of the six days of creation, which means half the time. Once you realize that, you can foresee that at the end in verse 29 and 30, you hear how God says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed which is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. Notice the repetition. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps the earth. It's interesting that at this point, at the end of chapter 1, we have the use of earth as in Eretz and to everything that Creeps, Romes, Al Haaretz. So in 30, you have Aretz, and in 25, you have Adama, and that's how the proof is there that Adama and the earth are one, but in two aspects. Adama is the earth in reference to man. So specifically, and then later we're going to encounter a third word, which is afar, which is the dust of the earth. All these things are important. You have to make the effort to learn these things before opening your mouth and giving your opinion. There is Adama, there is Eretz, and there is afar. Let's stick for the time being 
with the Adama and the Eretz. Adama, and again, let me jump into verse 2, and we'll see how these things are interconnected. Already in 2.5, we hear that because God had not sent rain yet, and man, Adam, did not, there was no Adam yet, because Adam will be made a few verses later, to till the Adama. Notice in the Hebrew, the connection, Adam tilling the Adama. We'll get back to all that, but for the time being, I would like to point out to the complete mistranslation of this famous Abad in Hebrew, which defines the relation between Adam and Adama. We have it as till and thus work, and we are always under the impression that the human being is in control of the Adama. But when you hear it in the original, that Abad from the same root as Abed, the slave servant, you have to understand it that the human being is the servant of the Adama for his own good. And here again, is this connected to the fact that when God saves his people from the slavery to Egypt, he makes them his own slave servant? Yes, absolutely. And Paul will pick up on that in Romans 6. What does this mean? That this connection between Adam and Adama is a connection of someone who is either inferior, subdued to, or at the most equal. Notice, Adam, Adama. And thus, in my land and covenant and commentary on Genesis, I speak about the Adama and thus the earth as being either the mother or the wife of a human being. And if so, already we are in chapter 2 and chapter 3, where we have that woman that comes from the human being, and instead of him acquiescing that she's a gift of God, he says, she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. I know theology makes this sound positive, but as I shall show you, I showed it already in my commentary. It's very negative. It's the controlling item which will be picked up at the end of chapter 3 in reference to the curse where the woman will be subdued to her husband. And then in Ephesians 5, we hear that Jesus, who is the head of the church, serves cleanses and washes every day his bride. Now, obviously, my good hearers do not get excited. Oh, I love that. There is nothing to love or not to love. We have to understand and be prepared 
Unless you do that, you're going to be scandalized when I tell you that the one who realized the promise of God that the seed of the woman will prevail over the seed of the serpent is not Jesus. It is Seth already at the end of chapter 4. So let's take it easy and please, please, please make the effort to understand and recheck on the text. If it is clear in English, that's fine. If it is not clear, make sure to ask someone. So my invitation to my hearers is to treat Scripture as an Adam is asked to treat the Adama. Scripture is at best your wife as your equal, but it is, or she is, or whatever, also your mother. That's the interconnection we have with the reality around us. One more time, the earth, not the orb, the planet earth, but the earth that is also Adama and produces fruit and is filled with dust. Notice when you scatter the earth, you scatter it as dust. So all this terminology is very important because it prepares you to understand the close interconnection between curse and blessing that we shall hear of very powerfully at the end of Leviticus and at the end of Deuteronomy. In your reality, you are presented with two ways, the blessing and the curse. This Adama, which is supposed to be a blessing as earth giving fruit, is going to be cursed in chapter 3. And the result will be that Cain, who is presented again as someone who, in English, tills the earth, but technically serve the earth, destroyed this relationship by filling it with the blood of Abel, his brother. So the earth is very tricky, and that in its turn explains the importance given to it. One more time, two of the six days of creation are taken by the earth. Day two, its production, its having been produced by God, its production by God, and day three, its production. Obviously, I'm using a pun, but puns are very nice to teach. Scripture uses puns all over the place. This is where we stand, and this is the greatest proof that Scripture is not interested in heavens as theology made of it, especially beginning with Alexandria. <laughs> Everything happens one more time, not on planet Earth. It is not planet Earth that is our mother. It is every piece of Earth on which we live. 
This is something that the author were accustomed to. I mean, we all know that even the Greeks, the opponents of the writers of Scripture, spoke of the earth as Mother Earth, Gaia, Gaia, Ki. I mean, this is well known. And the Hebrew has this unique Again, scriptural Hebrew, as I told you, there is no Hebrew like this per se, that made it so that the two words, Adam and Adama, are interconnected root-wise and phonetically, which is so impressive. And the good male Adam destroys all that by making the relationship between himself and the woman has an Isha coming from Ish. Okay, this is a teaser, so don't ask me a question on that. We'll get back to it. But again, notice this play on word. And he called her Isha because it came from him. It's very strange that in the entire chapter, one, where the author could have continued using Eretz. The first time, if you like, he would go as functional Adama would be in 2.5. But the low blow against the human being is that the first time it is mentioned is verse 25 of chapter 1 in conjunction with the creeping things. It's unbelievable. And then in 30, he refers to these creeping things, that they are the creeping things of the Eretz. So this cannot be happenstance. It is intentional on the part of the author. Precedence is given to the word in the sequence in which it appears. It didn't slip out of the pen of the author because in 30 he uses Eretz. It is intentional to put Adam under check that you as hearer, and this is where Alexandrian theology erred because it heard it in Greek. Suddenly, Anthropos, the human being, and you know how the Greeks of those times deified the Anthropos. And then Alexandrian theology deified the Anthropos. The original text does not allow you this. Because the first time you hear Adam, you have already heard it in verse 25, which is one verse before Adam. Let me take an aside here, which is very important. Later, when I'll be discussing the family, the understanding of Mishpacha, the family in the human realm, I point out that already that word family, which is Mishpacha, has been used of the animals. And my conclusion in my book, The Rise of Scripture, that to understand what the author is saying, you have to understand 
that he is inviting you to understand human family in the light of animalic family and not vice versa. We'll get back to that. But I needed this other example so that I would stress, especially for my hearers, that really there is nothing happenstance, let alone inspiration. The authors of scripture, praise the Lord, were not inspired. It is their product as Rafi, which is filled of the Spirit of God, as we shall hear Paul saying later. So let's not use things the way we were taught in theology, that the authors were inspired. You never hear this in Scripture. You hear Paul saying that he has the Spirit of God. But there is no inspired the way we understand it today. It is the product that for you becomes or is full of the Spirit. Theopneustos. This is what God wants you to hear. But again and again and again, unless we force ourselves to hear it in the original, it's not going to work. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.